the icons of real estate podcast. Are you ready to learn the proven money-making secrets from top producing icon agents? Ready to skyrocket your business? This podcast is for you. Tune in every week with your host, Tomasz Fonseca, and find out how to implement proven strategies to 10 times your business. From $3 million to $30 million in just 12 months. Brought to you by the Masters in Real Estate Marketing, Ardor SEO. Welcome to the Icons of Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Patty Teal. You're going to really be impressed with today's guest. Todd Sloan is a professional renovator and former real estate agent who is involved in more transactions every month than most people see in a lifetime. Todd brings a unique and useful perspective to the topic of selling investment properties and renovating them for profit. He's the author of Australia's Home Buying Guide, How to Buy a Property Faster and for Less, and host of the Pizza and Property Podcast. I love that name. Welcome, Todd. Thank you for having me, Patty. It's great to be here. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I hear you just recently re retired from being a real estate agent because you are in a position to be able to do that. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm still not sure if I'm comfortable with the word retire because I'm I'm certainly doing a lot still. But sure. We'll have to invent another not. word, don't we? Yeah, but but yeah, it it sounds good though. It's got it a little does. bit of flair to it. Yeah, <laughs> it does. But I know you're still busy. You're not sitting out in the rocking chair, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, I'd love to start with your story. I know you're uh, in Australia. Uh, yep. How did you get into the business of real estate? What were the twists and turns, and how did you get to the position you're in now? Yeah. Okay. Um. So for me, I actually started as a diamond driller. Um, depends on, on how long we've actually got to, to talk about it, but I can try and condense this as much as possible. So it was probably around uh, 2006. I, I was always into the media side of things and I wanted to produce this TV show and everyone I went to to try and sponsor it just saw a 19 year old kid with stars in his eyes. And, and I just thought, I'm going to just make this happen myself. So I tried to find the highest paying job that I could with no skill sets. And, and I ended up falling into diamond drilling and, um, Long story short with that, I, I did that for a few years, but I actually had an accident on a drill rig and I couldn't walk properly then for four years. Oh. And and it was it was quite a, a, a I, I refer to them as my professional alcoholic years now because I, for some reason, didn't want to take pain medication and just numbed the pain with drinking lots. Mm -hmm. It's a very good part of my life, but I think it's really one of the things that shaped me into to who I am now. And mm -hmm. because of the the downsides, I think it really gave contrast to the ups, but what it did do though, is it made me rethink and actually kind of forced me into a new career path. And it's actually my dad that said, you, you love real estate, you love property. Why don't you become an agent? And, and my exact response was, oh no, like, because you know, they're, they're all lying sharks and rah, rah, rah. And he's like, well, hold on a second. First of all, no, they're not. And second of all, why don't you just do it the way that you'd be comfortable with? And I went into it with the mindset of let's let's give this a go for for six months, see see what it's like, and yeah, stayed in it for almost eight years and absolutely loved it. Well, that's a wonderful story. Now, what did your dad do for a living? Uh, dad's a sales rep, but um, mm -hmm. he's a, a sales rep for more like the things that you just don't think of, like import mm -hmm. stuff from from China, like here in Australia but he'll import like bed actions. And so, which mm -hmm. is like the thing that actually makes a, a sofa bed fold out and then sell that to a manufacturer. So very much like a B2B kind of sales. 
Very interesting. So that was only six years that you worked as an agent. Now, how did you have such great success? Um, well, I think it was it was closer to eight. I think it was like seven, seven okay. years, eight months, something like that. But mm-hmm. I, I didn't in the beginning. The beginning was really bad. I got the hard word three times, which is the sit down in the office. We really like you, Todd, but unless you start <laughs> selling something, um, here's the door. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, which again is is quite character building. Um, but every time it happened, well, the first two times I, I just scraped by and and managed to list and sell something. And then the the last time it was like, no, I actually actually kind of took flight. And and that really took me almost two years to mm-hmm. to understand the business. Cause I think the thing that I didn't get was the listing part. I could sell houses and it's probably why they kept me around because mm-hmm. they'd give me other people's houses to sell. Cause the the model works a little bit different here in Australia than it does in the States, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But in in Australia, it's very much you can be the best salesperson in the world. But unless you know how to sell yourself and list the property, doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything. You've mm-hmm. got no no stock to sell. And and once I started wrapping my head around the the listing and, and the selling me side of things, mm-hmm. it, it really started to to click. And I never turned into like a super high volume agent mm-hmm. because for me, I kind of did the numbers on it and I didn't think it was worth it. So I would normally sell like anywhere between sort of 30, 40, and I think almost 50 one year. So it's it's a reasonable amount of transactions for an Australian agent, but there's other agents out there that build teams of like five PAs and mm-hmm. and they'll then go out there and sell 200 properties in a year. But yeah, this wasn't a fit for me because then that would have taken me away from all of the renovating and building the portfolio and the podcast. Right, you got a lot going on. So yeah. you had to learn to sell yourself and take it one step at a time. And how did you learn to sell yourself? Because even here, I think, most people who are realtors, they make their money by getting the listings. I mean, that's where most of the money seems to come from. Yes, you can have someone that you're representing and help them find a house. And I'm sure you do well there. But having the listing is a big deal because you know it's going to sell. Yeah. And for me, I, I think I'm actually putting together this this really big survey at the moment because I'm I'm surveying the, like the top 100 property investors. And and one of the questions in there is if you could attribute all of your success mm-hmm. in one word, what would it be? I might not have put that sentence together correctly, but I think you know what I'm saying. I know what you're um, saying. And, and for me, it's persistence. It's persistence. just, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not the, the smartest. I'm not the most skilled. I, I'm not the absolute best, but I, I am the most persistent person. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. So no does not mean no. It just means I'll try another way. Exactly. And that's why most people wouldn't have like floundered for two years. Most people would probably have just gone, oh, I don't think this real estate stuff's for me. But I, I knew I could make it work. I just needed to, to have lots of rejection first. Mm-hmm. So all the while that you were doing that, you were also uh, buying and renovating property. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Started that. Um, my very first purchase was actually 2007, but that's definitely not like a portfolio purchase. That was mm-hmm. That was actually really silly. I was buying it to impress a girl that was coming over from Melbourne and <laughs> later worked out. Good reason. Just <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but, but that was like a classic, like bad, bad investment kind of story. Um, mm-hmm. It went nowhere. Um, but then in 2017, that's when I thought, let's actually start building the portfolio. And that's when I really began. Really interesting. Now, how different or similar are the properties 
um, the market, should I say, in Australia to America. Like we just had this market that ended a few months ago that anything would sell and they were selling with cash. Was that going on in Australia too? Yeah, hundred percent. So, and, and probably timed very similarly mm-hmm. that I think in Adelaide, things are still going uh, reasonably well. They've absolutely softened from where they were, mm-hmm. but they're still going good. Uh, I think Brisbane's still not too bad as well, which like Brisbane is is probably like the the Florida like equivalent where you are. Okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's warm. It's a really beautiful spot. Um, but Melbourne and Sydney, which would would probably be I don't know your California, New York kind of equivalents. You you really your big anchor cities. Mm-hmm. They felt it first, which they oh. always do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Normally the biggest ones are the the first to to really boom and do really well, but they're also the first to go backwards. I love Sydney. It's such a pretty city. I just really think Beautiful. it's gorgeous. Yes. So where were most of your um, investments, your renovation homes? Were they all over the country or a certain area that you focused on? Yeah, I, I focused on two different states. So started building in Adelaide and then started building in, in Queensland. So yeah, I've got yeah a few few here in South Australia. Um, but now the, there's something called land tax in, mm-hmm. in Australia which is one of the reasons why a lot of people diversify. I mean, there's, there's a few reasons, but but that's one of uh, why it's smart to really diversify between states because otherwise you can hold this amazing portfolio, but land tax scales up very quick. And yeah, you, you can lose a lot of the profits to land tax if you don't. Oh, yeah. And how do the prices compare? Like how much is a house in Adelaide, an average house? Yeah. Okay. So average, I think average house price officially is something like $687. Uh, sorry, 687,000. I was going to say, I'm moving tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. So I'm going to have another one? coffee there, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it there, by the way? It's, it's like 6am or something. Oh, cool. You have your coffee. That's very early. You're doing wonderfully. And the average uh, cost of a home in Queensland? Uh, Queensland, Queensland's a pretty big state and there's a lot of different cities oh, in there. So mm-hmm. like, if you're talking about Brisbane, you're probably talking more around that kind of like 750 sort mm-hmm. of mark now. Mm-hmm. Uh, average house price in Sydney, you're looking more like around that kind of 1415. Mm-hmm. Um, average house price Melbourne, generally around that kind of 1 to 1.1 million mark. Mm-hmm. Um, Perth is probably one of the more affordable states. I think average house price there has still got a five in front of it. So, but, wow. but things are changing. Perth, Perth didn't grow the same way everywhere else did, but it was also because mm-hmm. Perth, what they did during the lockdowns, I think restricted a little bit of that too. Yeah. Well, that's also very interesting. And this book that you wrote, when did it come out? I came out last year, actually. I, I, I originally wrote it and I, I gave it the title, what to expect when inspecting, which I thought was quite mm-hmm. catchy. Mm-hmm. Um, I like and, it. Uh, thank you. Uh, but then a, a publisher got a hold of it and mm-hmm. um, yeah, within about a week offered me a book deal and, and said, if you write another couple of chapters and change a few uh, inappropriate jokes about Kim Kardashian. Um, we'll, we'll... <laughs> You'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So you put so much information into this book um, from what I've read. And I'd like to ask you some questions. It's so nice of you actually to, to share um, your knowledge with others and uh, the first one I want to ask you is the common pitfalls buyers should watch out for. Common pitfalls. And I mean, this this kind of goes across a few different categories, but one of the main ones is have your finance ready. 
And I, I again, I don't know the, the the real semantics of how it works in the states, but we see this all the time in in Australia. Buyers, especially young buyers, will start looking at all these different properties and get excited and they'll be like, "Oh yes, oh, I really like this one. This is great." And then they put in an offer, and it's like the next sentence out of their mouth is, "Oh, we still need to go to the bank. Uh, oh, don't worry, yeah. we'll be fine." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "No, you won't," because the other ten offers that you're competing against. Like they've already got their their ducks in a row. It's right. it's going to happen, mm-hmm. and and I see not only for that reason of the competition, but also because sometimes people will think, oh, we've we've definitely got five hundred thousand to spend, mm-hmm. and then it's like they keep missing out, missing out, missing out. Then they go to the broker and realize actually they could have got six fifty, and if they had have realized this three or six months ago, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have wasted three or six months shopping at a price range that was below. And again, the same thing can happen in reverse. Sometimes people shop a little bit too high. What's the saying? Champagne taste, beer pocket prices. Yeah, something like, like that. Either way. It's, Caviar it's just about, taste and I don't remember something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's, it's just, if you know the order, you, you can really make sure that you actually you make it a more fun experience, not an experience mm-hmm. where I used to see it all the time. People would rock up with that make it stop look on their face. <laughs> it should be. Uh, and I think the, the other big thing is really knowing what to and what not to say to an agent. And and okay. this is what I meant by before, like, because uh, you, you'd know more about like the rough percentages on this. But from what I understand, not too many Americans actually go it alone on the buying side, do they? You normally have no, an agent represent. Not too often, yes. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't work that way in Australia. So they're called ah. buyers agents here mm-hmm. in, in Australia. Very, very new. Like they've been around for ages, but there was probably like 500 in the country compared mm-hmm. to whatever it is, 50,000 real estate agents. Oh. So, but now they're starting to get a few more buyers agents. But the majority mm-hmm. of Australians, and when I say the majority, I really mean like 95% of Australians, probably mm-hmm. even more, will be the ones that actually negotiate direct with the agent, mm. which I've just always looked at and thought is so silly because mm-hmm. you're, you're taking on a seasoned professional. Right. It's, it's like, like Patty, if you and I got onto the basketball court against LeBron, it's like, we're not winning. It doesn't matter yeah, how, how yeah. much. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I love that. Ah, so very interesting. Yes, you do need somebody to be looking after your interests, especially if that's not your field. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, those that's great advice. And then you say make sure your finance is approved correctly. And maybe you address that. Do you know are you talking about the amount that you would be approved for? Yeah, the, the amount, uh, and again, the process might work slightly differently in the States, mm-hmm. but I imagine it'd be pretty similar. Like you've got like a pre-approval where you sit down with either a bank or a broker and and go, okay, well, this is what we want to do. And they essentially go, how much do you spend? How much do you earn? This is how much we'll lend you. That's the pre-approval stage. And and it's usually when they rubber stamp it for anywhere between like sort of three and six months. I'm pretty sure it's normally three months. Mm-hmm. And, and you can run around going, I know I can get, 400,000, a million dollars, $5 million, whatever they've told you, Mm -hmm. but it's it's doing it without that, that can really work against you. Yeah. And then how do you make sure you're getting the best deal on your loan? Do you have shop around? What do you suggest there? Understanding the market and not being afraid to actually do a bit of research because like I'm fortunate because I I genuinely love property. I always said you, you could pay me triple to sell vacuum cleaners and I just wouldn't do it. Like, it, it wasn't the sales side of things that I loved. It was it was the real estate side of mm-hmm. things. And I think that it's, it's where it's, it's easy for me to say, do research. But even if you don't love it, 
if you can end up saving 10,000, 50,000, like a substantial amount of money just by actually understanding comparable sales in an area, why wouldn't you do it? Even if you absolutely hated it. Like I hate administration work. Does my head in? It's just it's not my thing. But if someone told me, Todd, do, do some admin work for for five hours this week, and you save fifty grand, I'm all over it. Let's do it for right. ten hours. I <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> because I think yeah. it's it's the turn of a phrase sometimes that like I've walked people into paying twenty thousand dollars extra with a sentence, but I couldn't have done that if they actually understood that the house down the road had a swimming pool. And you know what, mm-hmm. that one that we're just comparing it to that was cheaper, that was actually on a main road, but they didn't know that. And I knew mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. If, you've, if you've got a bit more of that local knowledge with sales, that right. it, it will take you a little bit, but it can save you a, a hell of a lot. Right. And that's why here, and I imagine there too, if you're working with a buyer's agent who knows the ins and outs of a neighborhood, they know there's a, mm-hmm. it's a very crowded street during certain hours. They just know those things that you wouldn't know if you're new to the area. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of that, you talk about in your book, I know finding that right area that's going to be right for you. And if you have a family, your family, what are the things that you recommend people look at? Well, it it came about on um, a conversation many, many years ago with a a good friend of mine. And um, I I think I would have been like 20 at the time. And I was working on some business venture. And, and he was quite a well-respected businessman at the time and now very much so. And, and the advice he gave me was, uh, Todd, there's three things everyone wants in business. They want it to be good, they want it to be fast, and they want it to be cheap. He said, there's, <laughs> there's only two of them you ever get. If it's really good and it's fast, it's not going to be cheap. If it's really cheap and it's, it's good, chances are it's probably going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and it just hit me one day and I applied the exact same kind of formula to, to buying real estate. It's, it's beautiful, close, and cheap. When people start going, well, wh- how do we really know what we want? What's really important to us? Mm-hmm. You, you filter this through the, the little matrix in the book. If, if it's going to be really, really beautiful and beautiful is a little bit about size. It's a little bit about style. It's, it's, it encapsulates the, the feel of the property. Mm-hmm. Generally, let's say you want to live right in the heart of, I don't know, Florida too well, but Miami, I'm assuming is a pretty desirable place to live. It seems to be. I mean, for me, it would not be my place because it's so crowded and so big. Maybe not so crowded on the beach, you know, if you know, very expensive, but I like smaller areas. So, but for some people that would be their thing for sure. A younger person too, you know, let's go out and stay out all night and there's just so much going on. Oh God, I'm too old for that now. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's let's say someone wanted to really live like as, as close as possible to the beach in miami and mm-hmm. then they wanted the party scene and so you, yeah. you'd look at that and you'd go well and let's say if you've only got five hundred thousand, no idea what property costs there but five hundred thousand dollars to to spend you can go okay well i can get on the beach but i'm only going to get this tiny little one bedroom or studio apartment and it needs to be renovated mm-hmm. it's like okay or maybe i want a little bit more beautiful and, and then, well, okay, well, you can do that. And it's, it's going to be a little bit bigger, but you're going to have to go a little bit further away. So you, you mm-hmm. sacrifice that close for the beautiful mm-hmm. side of things. Mm-hmm. But maybe you don't want either of those. And you're like, no, I really want to be on the beach. I really want to make it beautiful. Well, then sacrifice the cheap. Bump it up from 500,000 to six or to seven or to, to whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And playing with this, I found really, really helped. I used it with, with hundreds of clients before and just people that I'd walk through that I could see were struggling buying. And mm-hmm. it's why it made it into the book. Because it's just, it kind of just changes the way that you really look at the the purchasing experience and, and very much for the better. 
Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And especially as we know, when the market has been so hot these last few years, where sometimes people couldn't get everything that they wanted, what are you willing to let go of? So that's yeah. a good way for them to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that when I was like reading about your book, it says that you mentioned what to ask your agent for the competitive edge. So this one, and again, I'm, I'm just very conscious of, of um, not cultural difference, but the, the process difference between Australia. Right. And mm -hmm. when, when, when I say agent, I'm talking about the sales agent. Okay. Would, would that be more so the buying agent? In, in the States when you're asking no, that question? No, it could be either one. It actually could be either one. Mm -hmm. could be either one? Okay. Mm -hmm. Some so, most agents do both, but some specialize in like, you know, seller's agents and or buyer's agents and most actually do both. That would be such a better model. I really wish we had. <laughs> uh, oh. So it's it's more down to, to the negotiation side of things. It's, a, it's really about what to say and what not to say. And mm -hmm. I actually find what not to say is often more important than what to say. Mm -hmm. I think people people look for this little magic bullet that they can come in with like a word sword and swing it around and then oh, everything's good. But often it's it's what you've said that you shouldn't have that gets used against you. And I, I generally say if you've got a really sensitive time frame, don't ever say that to an agent. Because if you say that to a sales agent, you used to have it all the time people would try and really push hard and say, oh, no, we're, we're going to do this. No, we're not, we're not going up at all. But they forgot at the open inspection last week, they told me that they were living in the spare room at their mother-in-law's and they absolutely hated it because she kept knocking on the door every five minutes and they needed to get out of there. Right. I'm just thinking, I know you're going to pay an extra 10 grand. Like, I don't know oh, that right. sound. <laughs> <laughs> Little mind but, games. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And that that's exactly what negotiating is. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I interviewed Chris Voss one day on my podcast and, and the way that he pulls apart negotiation is just the man's absolutely phenomenal, but it is very much a, you, you get paid for what you say and how you say it as an agent. And a lot of what you say is based off of what a buyer is actually telling you, which mm -hmm. is why I really think it's important to, to not give away information that can really be used against you. And it's mm -hmm. about kind of, that, that little bit of a, a middle ground. And like in the book, I compare it to if you were going on a date with someone, you imagine they were just, they were stunning. They, they were so interesting, so intelligent, funny, everything that you're looking for in a, mm -hmm. in a partner. And you were just over the top enthusiastic. Like, oh my God. Oh, I love the, oh, can I get you a key to my apartment? This is, oh, when are we going to see each other next? It'd be like, calm down there. Like it's, it's, it's either going to be used against you or it's not going anywhere. Like it's, it's not a good way to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you were to just kind of take that middle road of, oh, I really like this. I've, I've had a lot of fun. Um, it'd be great to, to see each other again soon. That, mm -hmm. that little middle ground there works really well because on the opposite, if you try and play it way too cool, like you're not interested, mm -hmm. they're probably just going to be thinking, well, oh, well, that person wasn't really keen right. and, and somewhere else mm -hmm. with a, a purchase. I find it's very similar if an agent thinks, because some people try and play it way too cool, and and when you're not privy to the conversation at the dinner table, which American Australian agents, everyone would know what I'm talking about there, that conversation you have at the dining room table with your vendors, with your clients as a sales agent, mm -hmm. that's when you really get all of the stories coming out of, oh, here's Jennifer and Robert. They absolutely love the place, blah, 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 blah. But here's Susan. You know what? Susan was pretty aloof. Uh, I'm not really sure. Like she says she likes it, but that could be a bit of a shaky one. Whereas like Jennifer and Robert, blah, 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 blah. It's that middle ground. 
And that's really what you always want to want to go for because it just it helps you so much in the buying process to not be taken advantage of. Mm, really interesting observation. So you've done so very well, and yet you're spending your time educating others. What drives you? I should know the answer to that. Um, well, that's okay. It's kind of a thoughtful, <laughs> you know, kind of a question because you know, can't maybe have to think about it a minute. I think it used to be fear because I grew up quite poor and, and like, I remember I used to, I don't really tell people this, but I used to play the clarinet. I don't say it because it's pretty, it's, it's not like a cool instrument. I wish okay. it was the electric. <laughs> <laughs> I like all instruments. So, um, but yeah, I used to play, apparently I was quite good. This is when I was like between eight and 10, I think. And, mm -hmm. and, mum like had to stop lessons um because she couldn't afford it and because just me mum and my sister and and they were like three dollars a week mm -hmm. and i remember that there was something that always stuck with me and i think i originally wanted to to build wealth and and really have options because i was so afraid of being poor again and so mm -hmm. that was probably the original driver mm -hmm. now I, I think it's almost a bit more of being faced with like mortality through a few other life experiences and, and personal circumstances that just make me realize that it's, it's bigger than just enjoying me in the moment. It's, it's about actually building something that gets left behind. Oh, and there's, legacy. There's, that's lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and, and I feel like it's, it's a bit of a throwaway thing these days. I think everyone kind of, and maybe it's, it is just something that's, it's more common and, and it's probably something that should be more common because I think mm -hmm. when you build something that's bigger than you, it, it serves so many more people and it makes you feel good. Wow. That's a pretty cool answer. Yeah. And of course you've been through a lot. You said you had trouble walking for four years. Well, that'll kind of make you see things from a different perspective. Yeah, definitely. Like after mm -hmm. that, when I walked from Adelaide to Melbourne, which I don't know distances in the States of like where that would be equivalent to, but it's, it's about 800 kilometers. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a stroll. And um, a I, stroll. <laughs> I, I really still maintain I couldn't have done that if it wasn't for what I went through with my back injury, because mm -hmm. the, the amount of pain I had to deal with constantly, you end up just sort of coming to terms with chronic pain. And mm -hmm. it's like, this, this is just life. Yeah. And I think that's where like, anyone could do it. Like you, you could start walking 800 kilometers right now. Patty. like it's just you don't need to be fit you don't need to train it's just more of it's better to train absolutely but it, it's it's about what's between your ears it's when mm -hmm. your mind says stop your body doesn't actually need to stop it just mm -hmm. wants to stop because it hurts mm -hmm. and and i think that yeah that that really shaped things knowing that pushing through the pain wasn't comfortable but was totally possible where i wouldn't have thought it to be before that's fascinating reminds me did you ever see the Forrest Gump movie it's very old but he's running and running and running across the company the country and then one day he just stops <laughs> and all these people start following him thinking he's a guru it's, it's actually quite cute but uh, anyway I, I absolutely <laughs> I, older movie it. you should check it check it out sometime so your yeah. podcast pizza yep. and property I love that and I think it relates to what you were saying that Australians would understand you sit down and have dinner with people and that's when you really uh, get a chance to get to know them and find out what they are what they really like what's important to them is that where the name came from a kind of um it's actually two two different things so first the quickest answer and, and both of them are the truth but the quickest is it's my two favorite things 
I absolutely okay. love it. <laughs> <laughs> and probably too much. I, I used to weigh about 79 kilos. Now I weigh like 107 kilos. So I should, I should pull the pizza love back a little bit, really. <laughs> um, but, but the other side to it is um, it, it's about balance. It's, mm-hmm. it's pizza and property basically represent the, the fun and the finance, because if you just have one, you don't really have a life. In my opinion, mm-hmm. if all you have is just pleasure, like it's, it, I forget who said it, but someone was uh, saying that, that a person's life that's filled with pleasure is usually devoid of meaning. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's really, really true. And, and I can speak from a little bit of experience from that, from my back injury and just mm-hmm. constantly drinking and just trying to find fun to escape the pain that I was in. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was empty. And, and then on the flip side to that, though, if all you focus on is the finance side. I believe it's, it's a very lonely pursuit and, mm-hmm. and it can also be de- like really void of, of that meaning and, and good feeling as well. So pizza and property is about balancing both in life because I think that's really when you've like made it quote unquote, right. it's, 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 it's the balance that matters. And the alliteration is nice too. The P's are very catchy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's great. Pizza and property. Who doesn't like both of those things? So it seems to me, even though you pointed out a lot of differences between Australia and the States, it seems to me that there's many more similarities than differences as I listen to you. Yeah, probably. I, I still haven't been to the States. I really want to go. but Oh, you must. Yes. Now that yeah, everybody think... can travel again, you should take a trip. Well, that's it. And I uh, actually, I proposed to, to my girlfriend um, was about four or five weeks ago, and we're t- mm-hmm. talking about a, a bit of a honeymoon and, and oh, states has come up. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank so, you. Yeah. So if people are listening and they want to know more about your book, know more about you, know more about your podcast, want to take a listen, how would they do all of that? Yeah, so we're we're on all the major platforms for the podcast. So if you just type in pizza and property or go to pizzaandproperty.com. Uh, and as far as the the book, I think easiest way would probably go to Amazon because uh, it's in all the major bookstores here in Australia. But I don't know about that globally. But if you go to mm-hmm. Amazon and type in Australia's mm-hmm. Home Buying Guide, then um, you'll be able to find it. Amazon has everything, doesn't it? It really do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for being our icon and letting me interview you today. It was absolutely a joy. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Patty. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Todd. You take care.